the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS On Air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zernio. This is our first show of the new year, and it's a delight to see you. And you're a January 1st birthday baby. Happy birthday. Well, thank you very much. Another year and another year older. And how many times did your folks say to you, you know, you ruined the tax deduction? No, it's everyone else my entire life. If I had been paid a dollar for every time someone told me that I ruined the taxes for my parents, I would be pretty, I'd be in pretty good shape. Well, I didn't say it exactly that exactly way. that way. No, I didn't. No, and, and I would always say, you know, I was I was premature. I was I'm like I was supposed to be born in February, so oh, there you are. Too bad. You did your best to make it in I December. Know. Yeah, that's right. I was lucky. I was in the same year. Good try. Yeah. Plus, I would have been a you know I would have been in a whole different decade if I had been born a day earlier. Oh, that's true. <laughs> so there you are. Well, it's great to see you. And Carol, for those of you who don't know, is a graduate of Trinity University and the University of the Incarnate Word has a master's degree in gerontology, and we talk with her every week about issues involving seniors and others who are dealing with seniors as caregivers. Carol also is executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Coming up after we chit-chat about what's in the news, we'll be talking with Jana Cantu, a compassion, fatigue, and recovery therapy expert, right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. And I wanted to start off with something that uh, you pulled together because, as you know, I'm a huge broccoli fan my belief, it will <laughs> delay dementia, although we have yet to get an expert on yeah, I was going to say, yes, we, none of the researchers Ever. yet they, are... They sort of, let me say it and then move yes, on. That's right. But you have found a list of 12 foods that may help manage anxiety and depression. Well, and what's interesting, I, I've got a new newsletter uh, that I have access to this year, and it goes out to the medical community, which is interesting. So they pulled together... Uh, a variety of articles. This one is uh, from a writer for the Wall Street Journal about an, a, an article that is appearing in the World Journal of Psychiatry. And it's talking about something that probably a lot of people think about, but they don't actually act on it. And it's that link between nutrition and mental health. So um, this is the Harvard Medical School, uh, a person that works with Cambridge School of Culinary Arts, Massachusetts General Hospital. And what they looked at were the nutrients that help promote good mental health. So, you know, anxiety and depression are pretty rampant among the general population, among caregivers, could be 100%. Among care recipients, could be 100%. And 65 and older men. Oh, yes. Yeah. So so it, it's really, really a, a huge problem. And what we're looking at is what are the nutrients, right? What are the vitamins and minerals you need for good mental health? And, and key to that's always the B vitamins. So B9, B1, B6, B12. In fact, low B vitamins will mimic dementia if you are low in your B vitamins. Wow. So looking for the B vitamins, looking for iron, magnesium, potassium, vitamin C, and some zinc. So those are, those, that's what we're looking for. What are the foods that get us there? Um, beans. You know, legumes, beans. Uh, are there's a reason that they are eaten by so many uh, around the world, around the world. Uh, they've got vitamin b they've got iron magnesium thiamine so they're good um fermented foods are good for you like kimchi and pickles because they have probiotics which we'll be talking about more right. later but you know there, there's a role for probiotics and we'll talk about that somebody put a note on facebook <laughs> the other day just moved here looking for the best kimchi in san antonio really so they have you lived in korea want real, real real kimchi. kimchi so keep looking keep somebody's looking. got it buried in their backyard somebody 
So you want fruits. Um, they're recommending avocados and berries. Again, B vitamins, potassium, and Ooh, I vitamin love, love C. Avocados. I love avocados too. And you can use that instead of mayonnaise on a sandwich. It's very good. Just mash it down. Mash it down. Um, speaking of mash, leafy greens, spinach and kale. Your broccoli is not here, Ooh, but probably they're should be. B vitamins, iron, magnesium, zinc. That's an oversight. Um, meats are good for vitamin B, iron, you know, if you're a meat eater. Grass-fed beef is high on that list. So for the nuts, cashews and walnuts huh. are the, have the omega-3s that you're looking for. Um, oils, olive oil, fish oil, we know that. Uh, and seafood, it's those dark fish. It's the anchovies, clams, wild salmon. They've got the omega-3 that you're looking for. Uh, seeds, sunflower seeds, and chia seeds. I don't know what a chia seed is. I hate to be stupid. I'm looking at you. You're looking at me. They come from chia pets. They, <laughs> that's what I was thinking. Yeah, they harvest is that them. what chia pets have for hair? Yeah, they is harvest it those them. Seeds? <laughs> Spices are ginger and turmeric, and turmeric is what gives mustard the yellow color. So it's always interesting when you're cooking with turmeric because it'll it's just yellow. It's mustard yellow, and that's that's the color. And then your whole grains, farro, quinoa, wild rice. So, you know, to me, that sounds like a yummy selection of vegetables. So starting off the, good, the, the new year the right way, um, why not start with the foods that help fight depression and anxiety? Now, I was telling you I've been struggling with a head cold for about 9,000 years. That's because you have children. Yes, they're little Petri dishes. I even said to my H-E-B pharmacist, Jennifer, I'm fighting this head cold. What do I do? And she said, join the club. <laughs> everybody <laughs> card everybody is doing it. So the question is, as I talked about this on WellMed Radio the other day with my co-host there, uh, nurse practitioner Cora Juke, she said, you've got to use probiotics. And then you found this some information on probiotics. probiotics. That, that is the opposite of that. Yeah, this is from the upshot in the New York Times that was looking at probiotics, are they good health or gimmick? And what they found is that probiotics are very specific. So if you have children who are taking antibiotics and antibiotics take out that, knock out that good bacteria, and the result is you get diarrhea. So if you're taking probiotics, you're giving them to your children to prevent them from getting diarrhea as a result of antibiotics, the research supports that. Yes, that will work. That's very that, specific. That's, that's incredibly specific, and that's also it. Um, there really isn't any more research that wow. has, shows a strong correlation. So people that are taking probiotics for Crohn's, eczema, uh, gestational diabetes, liver disease, head colds. Uh, urinary tract infections, and head colds. This is from the Harvard Medical School. Um, you know, the FDA doesn't does not regulate probiotics, especially when you're buying them in the store. So we can go back to your kimchi, your sauerkraut, your pickles. Anything that's pickled is naturally got probiotics. But yogurt is a great source. Um, you have a special yogurt you love. Um, I, I love Siggy's yogurt, which yeah. is the Icelandic yogurt. It's super thick, you know, low in, in sugar and really filling, lots of protein. Now, if you just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on Air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron along with Carol Zerniel. And probiotics? Well, it's a $32 billion industry. But, um, you know, as I was saying, the FDA doesn't regulate them. You don't know what you're getting when you buy them at the store. And so you just have to use caution. And it's probably better just to go ahead and eat the yogurt and the sauerkraut because you like them. the probiotic side, yeah, and I love pickles. Not so much. So there you go. My yeah. dad used to uh, put up jars of pickles, kosher dills, which were wonderful. Well, apparently, my my grandmother on my father's side was a wonderful pickle maker, and her reputation lives on many years later of her pickles. Um, maybe I would have liked them. I'm not a pickle person. In fact, long after my dad passed away, they were selling uh, their old house. And my mother found jars of pickles oh, in the basement. Yes, we, they were still good. We were we found jars of pickles in the attic at the farm. Wow! Yeah, same thing. Up there, she'd stored them. Still I don't know, perfect. The attic, attic is not a good place for pickles. So. Well, it gets too hot. Uh, yes, so we threw them away. So tell me about uh, baby boomers. And some folks say it is the loneliest generation. There's so many of them. Well, again, this... They're everywhere. We've been talking... Yes, there are baby boomers everywhere. We've been talking about that. We've been talking about loneliness as a health risk. So the Wall Street Journal had a a big report on it. And and what they found is that baby boomers are the loneliest generation. 
the si- it's more than the silent generation, more than you know any of the preceding generations, huh. more than the millennials after them. Um, and why is that? So baby boomers are starting to retire, and when they retire, you know our social circles shrink. We've got more health issues. Mobility might make it more difficult for us to get around. But baby boomers in particular valued their independence. Oh. And they tended to join less, right? We're going to join the club. We're going to be independent in their autonomy. And so um, they're more likely to actually be alone. Maybe they didn't get married. Maybe they're divorced. Maybe they always lived alone. Uh, And so what we know about loneliness is that loneliness is linked to early mortality, similar to if you were to drink six drinks a day or smoke 15 cigarettes a day. But what's scarier than that is that early mortality, so dying way before your time, um, your risks are much higher of early mortality than if you were obese or you didn't exercise at all. Wow. So being lonely is worse than smoking, drinking, um, not exercising. That's a pretty stark list. Uh, And so... You know, it, it, it carries risks, um, increased risk of cognitive decline, depression, dementia. It can affect blood pressure, your adherence to medication. And so the Wall Street Journal had a very sad story just living alone. You know, as somebody who lived alone, I married late, um, where if you do have a medical emergency and you're alone, that can contribute uh, to, to complications. And so the Trump administration, um, Assistant Secretary for Aging Lance Robertson, uh, who I've had the pleasure of meeting several times, is is talking with the Trump administration about maybe faith-based initiatives doing more to try to address loneliness. And I think you know that in Britain, they have a secretary of loneliness. They do. So, I don't know. Well, maybe lonely we, job. It, <laughs> it is a lonely job. <laughs> the only one in the world, the only secretary of loneliness is alone. Well, tell Thank me you, about Ron. the uh, upcoming caregiver <laughs> teleconnection. you got some great shows coming up. We do have some great shows. You know, I was listening to the teleconnection uh, just recently with our friend Lucy Barilak from Canada and Ask Dr. Lucy. Scalarin was talking about LGBT issues in caregiving, which was really interesting. A lot of things I hadn't heard of. So I just wanted to recommend some more that are coming up in January. On the 22nd, uh, Sheila Warnock, Share the Care. We had her on here on SOS on Air. She's going to talk about creating care teams so that no one caregiver is overburdened. That's fabulous. Uh, And these are at 12 p.m. Eastern time. And then on the 30th of January, our own Dr. Jamie is going to talk about caregiver burnout, and that's also at noon Eastern. Well, he'll be on today, too, on Take 10. That's right, so we can ask him what he's going to say. In fact, we're talking about uh, burnout coming up uh, for next week. That's right, we are. I like that. Or this week. Or this week. Or next, coming up. One week, coming up. And and by the way, in just a couple of moments, uh, we're going to be talking with Jana Cantu about exactly that, compassion, fatigue, recovery, and therapy, right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron with Carol Zernio. You hear us at 9.30 a.m., The Answer. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner, What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Well, this is very exciting. This is our first guest who's brought toys with her into the studio. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel, and our special guest is uh, Jana Cantu, who is not only a certified compassion fatigue specialist, but a board-certified music therapist as well. And one of the things we're going to be talking about is compassion fatigue, which a whole lot of caregivers suffer from. Mm. What is it? What is compassion fatigue? Compassion fatigue is a set of symptoms. It is not a disease or a disorder. That's the good news. The brain responds very quickly to treatment for it because of that. Compassion fatigue is two things put together. One is burnout. That is a slow, steady drain, like a monkey on your back that every day bites you just a little. One of those days you're going to turn around and want to strangle him. That's burnout. 
Burnout is half of compassion fatigue. The other half is the acute trauma that can happen vicariously when someone is dealing with trauma in their job or their caregiving role. And do you know if you have compassion fatigue? Do you know if you have burnout? You might not be aware of it. You might just be used to the slog. Well, what would be, how would somebody identify Mm -hmm. a person with compassion fatigue? You can identify a person with compassion fatigue if they begin to socially isolate from you. They might show signs of depression, anxiety, substance abuse, even suicidality. There's a risk factor for that. They might show signs of not being able to come to work, lowered immune system. There are physical, psychological, and social implications for a person with this this uh, set of symptoms. We had a, a caregiver that we worked with for years who would, every time I saw her, would say, I, you know, one of the, I just want to put a pillow over my mother's face. One of these mm. days, I'm just going to put a pillow over her face. And I would think, hmm. Ultimately, she, yeah, she probably, might. I hope she keeps coming and getting services mm-hmm. um, because that's definitely, you know, a, a cry for help. And mm-hmm. obviously we stuck with her. She really was not threatening her mother. But, you know, she wanted to. And, and, and that's not – I don't think that's unusual to wish the other person was gone, you know, when you've got a really heavy caregiving burden. You are right. There's a dichotomy of issues with the caregiver. One is almost a survivor's guilt. Why my loved one and not me when they see them slipping away physically or mentally? The other side is, I wish they were gone. I'm grieving and it's taking so long. Can't this just be over so that I can live again? So both sides have have guilt and pressure. We had one other guest in uh, on the air with us who was a caregiver uh, who was so angry at her mother Mm. and uh, just couldn't deal with the stress. She was a great guest because it showed the kind of incredible stress that a caregiver can go through. But I don't know if she ever got help. I, well, well and I don't, think she was, I don't think she was aware at how angry she sounded. That's Wait, probably true. Because she kept saying, it doesn't bother me. It's not a problem. I'm mm. not mad about it. Mm. But she was obviously angry, bothered, and mad about it, just about everything. So you could see it. Yes, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And hear it. You could hear it. This is a situation in which intervention needs to happen by loved ones for the caregiver. The National Institute of Mental Health says that every caregiver needs a caregiver. However, caregivers don't have the time or the energy. Once I had a lady tell me, she, she's, her husband is in stage two of Alzheimer's. And she said, I am so frustrated when someone tells me to do self-care. Because I, number one, don't have the time, and number two, no one's teaching me how to do it. So it just builds on my guilt and frustration. So as a compassion fatigue specialist, I have the privilege of walking caregivers through a mastery of self-care plan. It's called Pathways to Resilience, and also teaching them completely practical skills that they can do to regulate their bodies, which helps them avoid interpreting the event as traumatic as it's happening. How did you get into this? I got into therapy because I used to be a performer. I was a professional violinist doing the symphony gig, doing the what have you, ballet, symphony, opera, you name it. In Um, San Antonio? In in the Texas area. I was actually in the valley. I married a man from Mexico. Okay. One day, I was working with a group of children, and I saw a little boy who had some special needs. He was wrapping himself around the speaker of my sound system. All the other children were socially focused on the microphone in my face, and he was wrapping himself around the speaker, feeling the vibrations. That's where he was getting the music from. And that day, I started to research, what is the scientific implications of music for this child as compared to the typically developing child? That led me on a path to discover music therapy, went back to school for further training to become board certified as a uh, behavioral health clinician. Hmm. And then compassion fatigue came upon me as a result of my own burnout after a job in an emergency room. I was exposed to a lot of trauma in the first five years of of my job as a therapist, just doing music therapy in different facilities as a contractor. And I went through a severe burnout as a caregiver because I didn't know what the impact would be for my own self. What were the symptoms? For me, the symptoms were not being able to retain or follow through with a contract that was offered to me, 
which was very sad for me. I had nothing left in the tank. Because it was income. It was income. The second symptom I noticed that I was completely depersonalized. I started to feel the symptom of dissociation. Mm. Mm -hmm. I started to feel like a robot, crying at the drop of a hat, shaking when I thought about even spending time with a client, any client. It felt overwhelming to me to get out of bed. It felt like depression. So you went from doing this there, you know, Mm -hmm. working with people to actually working with people who were suffering the way that you were suffering. Exactly. I went on a trajectory from working on the what I would call the front lines, the patients, the clients that themselves have anything from schizophrenia to alcoholism to Alzheimer's to hospice. I went from working on that front line to being a secondary support caring for the professionals that provide that care because I burned out. Hold that thought. If you just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel, and we were talking with Jana Cantu, who has developed a specialty in compassion, fatigue, recovery, and therapy. She did a 2,000-hour internship at uh, Laurel Ridge Treatment Center in San Antonio and has worked as a linguist in China and Italy which is pretty exciting. Carol was recently in Italy on a mm. trip. It's hard to come back, isn't it? It's very hard to come back. <laughs> very hard to go. Yes, it is. Yeah, thanks for bringing Talking that up. About, there's I'm compassion sorry. fatigue, burnout, and there's jet lag. And there's needing a vacation <laughs> after a vacation. That's funny. It's exactly what she said earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the food, you just can't find food like that. Anymore. No, you really can't. We were talking about that as well. Well, um, so in your compassion fatigue and your work, uh, you talk about, you know, a a number of sessions and you talk about, you know, quick recovery. Mm -hmm. So what, you know, kind of walk us through somebody who was going to go through uh, treatment for compassion fatigue, working with you as a therapist. What would that look like? It looks like them seeking help, which is the very first step and often a very pivotal one because the caregiver is stuck into the cycle of I must do something. I'm spiraling downward, but I have no time or energy for myself, and I'm guilty to take that time and energy. So asking for treatment is setting the person on the road towards healing. So let me just ask you this question. Do do most people just not give themselves permission to set aside time for themselves? I mean, people really can carve out five minutes or ten minutes of time a day probably. I think that it's necessary. One of the things that people absorb through the treatment protocol, which is five, only five sessions of two hours each, is the reality that I am in a new normal and I have to put armor on every day, Teflon armor. And I also have to have skills in place to provide self-regulation for my body and my brain so that I can avoid becoming traumatized when I go through a situation. Our brains receive traumatic events when we're caregiving, and the brain takes those events and it sticks them into the same places that someone with PTSD in war would would have. How do you know that? I know that from scientific research. The brain sticks those things into areas where it just can't deal with them. So the caregiver or a person who's been traumatized with PTSD... Caregivers, by the way, very often get secondary PTSD. We have to somehow pull that material out of the back of the brain towards the frontal lobes. And this is the wonderful part of our brain that God has really given, gifted us with. Because in the frontal lobes, we can observe our own thinking. And we're the only mammal that has this part of, that, of a brain that way. So we as humans can heal from these things when we can observe them. But we have to step aside and take the time to do that. And we have to be strategic with it, which is where a therapist comes in. You can absolutely learn how to do it. So what kind of armor are you recommending? I recommend armor two types. I recommend self-regulation skills. Some of those skills look like, let me get out my little list here because I did prepare a little list. Okay. Some self-regulation skills and tools would be progressive muscle relaxation. This is a big word, PMR, that basically scans section of the body in patterns to contract and release them, releasing them intentionally deeper and deeper. This is a intentional letting go of muscular tension. Sounds like my yoga class. 
You know, in some ways, you're right. Mm -hmm. Which is cool. And mindfulness as well. Mindfulness is very important. Guided imagery, guided imagery to music. Uh, What is guided imagery? Guided imagery is a process where a therapist will take you into a, quote, safe place and help you connect all of your senses to that safe place because through our senses, our mind and body reconnect to each other. And during compassion fatigue, the mind and the body become separated, just like PTSD. So when you see a client first Mm -hmm. time uh, who has come to you because they're dealing with all kinds of stress and issues and fatigue, Mm. how do you begin the process of helping them get over that hurdle? I begin the process by giving them a very thorough and comprehensive mental health assessment to see what their brain is really saying. We do not go forward with treatment if they have primary PTSD that needs to be dealt with before secondary PTSD. How would you know? I would know through clinical assessments and taking their history very, very carefully, just like any clinician Mm -hmm. using evidence-based practices. And so for primary PTSD, Mm -hmm. what are you showing? What, What are the symptoms? Sure. Well, they both might show up as similar. So we have to tease out what is coming from the caregiving role and what is coming perhaps from childhood. We're going to come right back to that right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron along with Carol Zerniel talking with our very special guest who is a specialist in compassion fatigue recovery and therapy. And we're delighted to have uh, Jana with us today right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. Well, we are so pleased you are with us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. We're talking with Jana Cantu, who is a specialist, a therapist, dealing with all kinds of issues, many involved in caregiving. And we were talking about how she begins the assessment and then a treatment plan for folks who come to her. And we're not talking about lifelong treatment. We're talking about five sessions or so. That's right. We're talking about a set of symptoms, not a disorder. So they come to you and and you, you do a a history, Mm -hmm. and you discover that, uh, yeah, there's someone that you can deal with and help. Mm -hmm. What next? What comes next is we jump right into getting an entire, I call it verbal vomiting. They write out the entire history of their stressors from beginning to end, and then they speak it aloud, and I witness that. What would be an example of a stressor? A stressor might be the first time that your husband, who was a brilliant mathematician, walked wandering down the hallway naked at night. That would be a typical stressor for a caregiver, something that shocks you into saying, this is no longer what I expected from life. Another stressor might be a policeman that comes upon a dead body in the road over and over day after day due to a drunk driving accident. I treat people from all realms of life. I say, if you have people depending on you, lives, souls, or limbs, you qualify to be treated for compassion fatigue. Then what? So, session. Once they vomited their sure. stressors. Once they vomited <laughs> all out, we start to identify which things will really make a key difference for you today. Because caregivers have to live in the moment. Right. They are really under a lot of pressure. They don't have a lot of time to go back to the distant past. So, we then pull up techniques that will be most helpful for them. And they get to identify which traumas they would like to process out of their brain. So, then I use techniques that are known of course, evidence-based, clinically researched techniques that help the brain process out quickly the trauma in a safe manner. Like what? I sometimes use EMDR. I use eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, which challenges the brain to choose between focusing on the trauma and focusing on a physical activity. When I ran the Rape Crisis Center here in San Antonio, our therapists there, we had them trained in EMDR. Mm. Very effective uh, with some rape victims. You're right. And you have to find what works for that person, which is why I bring a bevy of tools and choose from them. Sometimes I use uh, music therapy where they don't have to use words. They can create a song, create a rhythm, something to help the the brain creatively process. Sometimes I use thought field therapy. Sometimes I use tapping, which is acupressure points that help release, uh, as they say, emotions that are stored in physical channels in the body, in the neuroendocrine system, there are almost as many techniques as there are people. Well, I I think what's interesting with all the techniques, I'm I'm picturing a caregiver doing any of these techniques, Mm -hmm. 
But I think what is also really helpful that caregivers probably aren't even thinking about, it, you, you mentioned it when you said you had them read it back and you listened to it, is they become visible. Yes. You know, so it's it's an active therapy where they're working on something, but they also become visible in the process, whereas they have become so much in the background and, and you know, they're caregiving. It's all about the other person that, you know, all of a sudden you see them and hear them and that you may be the only one that they can acknowledge that's happening. In fact, I remember one of the caregiver SOS therapists said to me one day that uh, she had a new client come in and simply said to her, how are you doing? Mm. And the client hadn't heard that in like forever because mm-hmm. nobody asks mm-hmm. a caregiver, mm-hmm. how are you doing? Mm-hmm. That reminds me of the homeless people on the street. They just become a part of the scenery like wallpaper. Caregivers can often feel that way because their entire life becomes absorbed in the job, in the role that they are now demanded to do out of love or obligation. Well, would this be an opportunity to, you mentioned music therapy is one Mm -hmm. of the techniques, and you brought with you some um, items here in the studio uh, for music therapy. Talk about music therapy um, as a a helpful technique. Um, You know, it's something that's gaining in popularity, although I I suspect that you might be among those that recommends a trained music therapist as yes. opposed to just any old person and, uh, you know, like some Roland headphones. Who plays the guitar. <laughs> no, no, but everybody thinks, oh, I'll just play music for you, and that's music therapy. Just like you could pull a pill out of any bottle and it might help you or it, it might, might not you. have, yeah. You know, the elements of music are very powerful things, and they are the tools of the common man. Everyone can utilize music to help in the caregiving situation. But when you're working with a therapist, you can apply elements of music in a way to tease out and treat trauma in a way that you really can't do when you're just listening or observing music on your own. Music is a powerful tool for people with dementia because when the person is involved in the music making process, whether it's on a drum or singing along, the entire brain is lighting up. So neurons are functioning that are getting around things like traumatic brain injuries, strokes, uh, decay, plaque, in the brain that is related to Alzheimer's. Um, Now show us what you brought with you. Sure. Well, I brought a few things. Music therapists usually come prepared. We're jack of all trades. I brought a guitar. I brought my voice, which is sometimes the most powerful tool, especially when someone is nearing death. I brought some drums and shakers, some small percussion instruments. I wanted to ask you two to be involved with the music today in a percussive manner. There's no wrong way to do it. Are you willing? I'm willing. Okay. Absolutely. And uh, Roland's in a band, so you have That's to join right. in. That's right. Yeah. So we've got an extra. He's we've got trying, an extra musician here. He's trying to be invisible, but you're part of this. I have a shaker here. Does anyone feel attracted to play this? All right, Saturday? I can do the okay. shaker. Yeah, that one. Like that one definitely. Can do a shaker. I have the Turkish drum, which is a doombeck, and I'm not calling you a doombeck. It just sounds like I am. Roland, like, do you want to do the like Doombeck? Are you, doing, are, you, are you in the Doombeck mood? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> Doombeck mood. Okay. All right. So this will be our first musical caregiver exactly. SOS on air. I also have a lovely oh. wind chimes. Which people become jealous oh. of. So when I'm in a group therapy, I usually let everyone play it. They become like little children. Yeah, see, I'm already jealous. Made in Nashville, Tennessee. They're pretty. Yes. Okay, so... I would like to start with something very simple. This is a tool for caregivers. I'm going to get my guitar out. Okay, get the guitar. All right. Let me practice. All right, so we've got wind chimes. We have the shaker, which and we have which Roland. I, I see. I'm already. I've got a happy You're beat. It. You're kind of dreamy. And Roland, what do you have? You're going to in the background there. Give us a whatever the uh, what did a dumbback? A doom, <laughs> He's a dumbback. the dumbback. Dumbback. Oh, he he's knows like, how to do yeah, that. he's a That's he's got Doombeck experience. You gotta fire up your microphone there. <laughs> oh yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. That's, That's right. Roland's never been in a in a studio before. That's the micro. That is the microphone, Roland. All right. <laughs> okay, y'all. Can you hear me? We can hear. I'm going to ask you to find my rhythm. We're going to entrain to the beat, which means within a few seconds, all of us are going to be doing a human activity together where our biorhythms come into sync. Then I'm going to add some lyrics, and the lyrics are going to be for the caregivers out there. See if you can find my beat. All right, you ready for the lyrics? 
Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Stop and just take care of you. Again. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Stop and just take care of you. All right, y'all. Why did we sing this little earworm? Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. These are the four emotions for caregivers that can spiral things down and out of control. Do you hear that wind chime? I know. This wind chime won't shut off. (laughs) I know. I know. It's electronic. Hungry, angry, lonely, and tired are the four emotional states that caregivers need to be aware of. These are toxic states. The caregiver going into being hungry, angry, lonely, or tired immediately shuts them off from being able to be a skilled caregiver. So I make this little song to a simple little child tune, which sticks in your head. And musically, we call that an earworm. It's much better than one eight seven seven car for kids. But it sticks, <laughs> oh, right? Yes, absolutely. What's the one you sent me, the uh, the article, that song? That's I sent re- you an earworm article. Yeah. Yes, what was the new song? Um, uh, I don't remember. Oh, yes. Um, Baby, baby shark. shark. Baby Shark. Baby shark. That's I'm it. just glad it's not the Barney song anymore. No, Baby Shark. Yeah, Baby Shark. I haven't heard that one yet. Please Grandpa don't play it. Shark. Don't yeah. play it for me. Yes, I've so avoided that so far. Let's see if the earworm was effective. Can you sing with me? Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Stop and just take care of you. Okay, so later on, when you're... When you're at your daughter's wedding and this song comes to you, you can blame me. But there's a reason why I want it to stick in your head. These four emotional, physical states must be treated immediately. It spells halt. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired spells halt. I think they also use this in Alcoholics Anonymous. No, that makes sense. No, it makes sense. It makes sense. I encourage caregivers to set an alarm on their phone for 10 in the morning and for 3 in the afternoon. A little alarm that says H-A-L-T. Then they check themselves. Am I hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? If I am, I have to stop and just take care of me. Well, now, I, I think that's great advice, though, for just about anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband would tell you that, yeah, you know, all of us get hungry, angry, or, you know, lonely and tired. And so, you, you know, know it, it we, just sounds like good advice for living. It is good advice, but not everyone understands that... In order to do what we must do, we need to do what we feel we cannot do. Another way to put that would be learning to relax is learning to allow yourself to relax. Caregivers, I'm saying that to you. This is a therapist giving you permission to treat yourself well. Learning to relax is learning to allow yourself to relax. This is vital to being an effective caregiver. When you talk with caregivers mm-hmm. uh, and they come, uh, mostly women, some men, who are the ones generally who come to you? Mm-hmm. Men and women come to me. They come from all sorts of fields. They come from the medical field. They come from uh, hospice. They come from EMS. They come from ministry, actually, spiritual caregivers and their spouses who experience severe burnout and PTSD vicariously. There's an Owellment has done a program for providers mm-hmm. on burnout. Interesting. And, and that would be something that I'm sure you have experience with, dealing yes. with professionals. Yes. When it comes to uh, caregivers, mostly I deal with people who have lost a loved one or who are dealing with Alzheimer's. Which is so many of the caregivers. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. And growing in number. And growing in number. I have one more small technique for the caregivers, depending on our time today. I think you can do that. All right. Okay. This is a chant. This is a little bit of a guided imagery. We're going to use three colors, and we're going to use an acupressure point. So I want you to reach up above your heart near your clavicle and begin to caress in a circle the area above your heart right under your breastbone. Doesn't that feel nice like your mommy's here? This is where I I was on a radio show recently that they actually had the – the, you know the camera set up so mm-hmm. that you could if everyone could see us we're all like like little pets now Roland you got to spread your fingers out there my friend if you poke on in there I don't know what you're going to poke but if you spread your hand no out poking. and you 
let a lot of flesh connect with a lot of your chest area, you're going to hit the spot called the sore spot. Got about a minute left. Okay. So what we're going to do is I'm going to chant. When you hear the colors, please visualize them. This is a little thing that I made up for caregivers. Here we go. Power down now. Step into the blue. Let peace surround you. Power down now. Step into the green. Nothing between you. Power down now. Step into the clean. Perfect place for us to say thank you so much. We really appreciate you coming in. You have a phone number if folks want to get a hold of you? Yes, the phone number is 956-467-6011. And I'll do it twice on the radio. Sure. 956 Four six seven six zero one one. And your website? SoulCareMusicTherapy.com. Soul, S-O-U-L? That's right. For the soul. Cool. Hey, thanks for coming in. This Thank has been so a delight. Thank you so much for having me. Jana can too. We really appreciate it. Up next, Take 10 with Dr. Jamie Heisman. I'm Ron Aaron with Carol Zerniel. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on Air on 930 AM, The Answer. Think Blue. Ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. We thank you so much for joining us on Take 10. At the end of each and every one of our Caregiver SOS On Air programs, we bring you Take 10 with Dr. Jamie Heisman, nationally known psychotherapist, a specialist in dealing with not only caregiving, but with addictions as well. And Carol Zerniel joins us. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol, as we enter a new year, resolutions, a whole whiteboard on which we can write out the rest of the year, Balance becomes a real critical issue, especially for caregivers. Well, I've been thinking about, obviously, a new year. You, you kind of reflect on your past year and, and your own life, and it just seems like 2018 ran over me, and I had no control over anything. You know, I was just constantly playing defense, um, constantly just batting whatever was coming out at me. And really, by the end of the year, felt like I was tired of the fire hose in my face uh, and wanted to feel you know, a little bit more centered and balanced. You have 6,000 emails. And, yeah, exactly. And all of them unanswered. (laughs) So, Jamie, (laughs) in the past, I have heard you talk about balance and caregiving and and a three-legged stool. Um, What is it, you know, what's balance? Why is it important? And and how can we point ourselves in the right direction here at the beginning of the year? Well, I'm still waiting for the email from you on this answer. You know that. (laughs) No, I'm only keep waiting. Keep I'm waiting. Joking. So you know, now this is a great question, especially the first of the year, Carol, and and I'm really looking forward to talking about it. Three legged stool is, is the medical, the psychological, and the social. That's what a three legged stool is. So if you're in your mind, if you're a caregiver listening, picture a stool with three legs. The if you will, the opposite of the balance that you're speaking about is truly caregiver burnout which, again, it's a state of physical, emotional, and mental exhaustion, kind of what you were describing in terms of drinking from the fire hose. So if you really want to go from that particularly burned-out stage of physical, emotional, and mental exhaustion to a balanced stage, you need to take each one of these legs and sequentially and as in parallel, if you will, parallel time, take care of it immediately. So, okay, so give me one leg <laughs> okay, okay. Okay. that, that, you you know, that I can work on. Well, I just talked last week to a group of clinical providers. That's, uh, you know, the, the medical assistants, the social workers, the nurses, and the, and the doctors. And I literally asked everybody to raise their hand the last time they saw their primary care doctor. And if you can imagine, in a group that's very savvy and very aware, 
I would say less than 30% have seen their primary care doctor. So the first leg of the stool is the medical. What have we done to actually help our medical health? Let's face it, when you have chronic illness or acute illness or any type of illness, um, this really plays into our anxieties and our fears and in terms of creating depression as well. So the first leg of the stool is make sure you call your primary uh, physician, primary care physician, and if you're taking care of a loved one, make sure they go see their primary care, uh, care physician too. This is a, a January resolution. Right. So we, we want to get those um, annual check boxes, you know, the checkups that we're supposed to have, age-based, whatever, um, talking with the physician. But there's a role for us as well. So good health is not going to just come from visiting the doctor. So is part of the this this medical piece, is it also thinking, you know, Ron and I have been laughing that the amount of minutes needed for exercise gets smaller and smaller. We're down to two minutes, you know, of exercise instead of intense or 10 minutes maybe of just walking or just walking. So I did my 30 seconds. You did your 30 seconds and it's cumulative. So 30 seconds in the morning and later. So some of this on the medical side, would we be doing ourselves a favor if we were um, proactive in the nutrition space, in the sleep space, in the exercise space, along with seeing our provider? There's no question about it. I think the first thing our primary care doctor is going to ask us to do is to get engaged in our own care. Remember the definition of burnout is when somebody's working harder than you are on any given issue. So in terms of exercise, in terms of, of of the balance, if you will, of taking care of yourself medically, uh, nutritionally, uh, these all feed in. And if you can't do that, you're 100% right. There's no medication uh, or medication that's going to suffice for that level of medical care that we can provide ourselves. So as you're thinking health care, if you're a caregiver, think of self-care. I don't think I understood your definition of burnout. You said it's when someone is working harder at the same task I'm working on? Precisely. So just figure you're uh, a caregiver and you're trying to get your family together to help a a loved one carry, and you want it so bad, and you're doing all these things that you can do to help your loved one, but you need help, and you need somebody in in the family to come, you know, like the Calvary, and they're not, and they're not working as hard as you. So you keep working and working and working, and they keep going backwards and backwards or not showing up, and that is the definition of burnout. That also is the definition of burnout, whether you know, as we deal with our physicians and the healthcare workers. Again, if they're working harder than we are on our own medical care, to your point, Carol, about you know physical health and what we can do, then they're going to burn out. So we all have to meet each other 50-50 to actually stay balanced. He's Dr. Jamie Heisman. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zerniel, our co-host, is here. We're doing Take 10, which follows each and every one of our Caregiver SOS on-air programs. And we're talking about finding balance in your life, especially for caregivers. Right. So we've talked about it. We're talking about the three-legged stool, and we just made it through medical. So after medical, what's our second leg? Well, you know, I'm biased in this department, Carol. You know that. It's the psychological. Let's face it. If you have a chronic illness or, again, any illness, but a chronic or acute illness, um, it's going to play into our minds and, and create often depression, fear, anxiety. Uh, we'll get to it in a second, but even it'll create isolation. And so I think that the first thing we need to do in January, along with the medical uh, attention we pay ourselves, is to, I would say, seek out a therapist, seek out a support group, you know, just find ways to increase our own mental health. And again, it's back to our own self-care, and maybe that's hiking, and maybe that's going out into the the parks and, and recreation and, and doing things for ourselves that makes us feel at peace. So the psychological is as important as the medical. And as we're dealing with seniors today, sometimes we see it's even more important. So I think that's a, a really good suggestion. And, and just like the exercise that we were talking about, that doesn't have to be a lot of time, a big chunk of time. It can be little bits. You know, just, just um, being mindful can really help your mental health, noticing a blue sky, hearing a pretty piece of music, you know, feeling the coolness of the tile under your feet, you know, just small things and noticing things that feel good or make you feel good. I think it's a great suggestion. I was just thinking the other day, there is nothing in the world better than putting your face down on a cold 
pillow. On a cold pillow or, or you know, we've had some really great sunsets. It doesn't require good weather to have a great sunset where you really get some nice colors. And here in Texas, we're lucky we have beautiful sunsets. Just reco- you know, it just requires dirt in the air. Just dirt in the air. That's right. Go dirt in the air. And just to give you a practical sort of uh, thing to do real quickly before we get to the third leg, realize that you can do breathing exercises in a moment's time. Breathe in three seconds, hold it for four seconds, and blow out for seven seconds. That's Dr. Andy Weil, who's medical director in Arizona uh, at Holistic Center. And that's just what you can do, and it takes you, what, 15 seconds? But do it, like, for two minutes, and you can see your psychological health will transform. Why does that work? Well, it's actually it's the type of breathing, deep breathing, that our bodies need. There is literally a technique to breathing. And to Carol's point, that's one of the reasons we actually look to mindfulness as an intervention for our psychological health. It actually teaches us how to breathe, how to fill our lungs properly, how to hold it in, and how to blow it out. So, about it. you know, if you have a chiropractor or a medical doctor, you can learn this. Got about a minute left. What's okay, the third? Okay, one leg. We got a third leg. Third there leg. is nothing like the third leg. That, that to me, is spiritual slash social. So let's just concentrate on the social because the spiritual you can do a whole show about. Listen, everything seems to isolate us. When we get ill, everything becomes myopic and self-engrossed. So we need to have social connection. We need to come out of ourselves to remain balanced, mind, body, and the social piece. And if you can do that, go to a caregiver SOS. Ask them what support groups are. Be connected to a mentor, if you will. Make sure you're going out with activities. Join a bowling league if you're medically and psychologically able to do that. For that reason, the social, I think, is critical. So we're going to take care of our medical health. We're going to take care of our mental health. And we're going to take care of our spiritual social health in the upcoming year. Um, which is, and it can all be baby steps, steps in the right direction. We don't have to do it all right the first time. And there's no right or wrong. If you don't think it's working for you, try it again. You, you bet. And Lao Tzu, the philosopher, says, remember, a journey to a thousand steps begins with one step. Oh, no, excuse me. A journey to a thousand miles begins with one step. Thank you, Lao Tzu. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Flat out of time. Dr. Jamie Eisman, thank you so much. Carol Zerniel, I'm Ron Aaron. Thank you for listening to Caregiver SOS On Air and Take 10 on 930 AM, The Answer. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.